0: Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Main Idea Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Michael Placencia. A quick reminder for those of you that love this podcast, please take 30 seconds and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me continue to bring on amazing guests. There are also now timestamps in the show notes, so feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. The other way that you can support this show is by sharing an episode with someone who loves jujitsu. Send them your favorite episode, let them become part of the community, and listen to some of the greatest minds that the gentle art has to offer. Michael Placencia is a writer, producer, actor, stuntman, jiu-jitsu practitioner, and co-creator of Cholo MMA. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, Michael Placencia. Well, Toker, Mike, Michael, man of many faces, thank you for being here today. I've been excited to have you on. I'm so sorry about the other day with the audio issues. It drives me absolutely nuts. My strong suit is not technical stuff, so I appreciate you giving it a second shot and getting back here.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's good. Uh, it's good to be on here. Appreciate it. You you actually
0: inspired me to go back and read about how Toker came to be a character, and then also go back and watch Friday and watch the Joker's part in there. How much of an impact did that character have on on like you and your friends in creating this whole persona?
1: It was actually everything. So. <laughs> After I did a couple of videos, uh, I I was already actually friends with him on Facebook, Jacob Vargas, who plays yeah. Joker next Friday. And I had messaged him and he laughed. And I kind of just did it at first as like a joke. I was doing like spoof videos of yeah. like spoof <laughs> movies and stuff like that. And people thought it was hilarious. And it just got to a point to where like, all right, people want to see more. I got to do more. Right. Mm-hmm. And one day I was sitting in my room, and I hadn't trained jujitsu at that point. I hadn't trained jujitsu in years. Yeah. So I got up to a blue belt, and I just pretty much stopped. You know, a lot of people know that story. People who get blue belt and quit. I was one of those guys. Yeah. I had my gi in my closet, and I was just laying there, like, listening to music, thinking of different ideas to shoot a sketch or, like, a spoof yeah. video. And my gi was just, like, sitting there in the closet. And it, <laughs> it literally hit me when I looked at it, and I go... I gotta do this character doing jujitsu. And I thought to myself, people are either gonna hate me yeah. or they're gonna love it. It's gonna be one or the other. I could literally ruin this stuff that I've already been doing or it's gonna catapult it. And everyone's seen what happened. So <laughs> Were
0: you were you uh were you doing like stand up comedy or anything at the time, like in LA and and already writing and creating and yeah. thinking of like characters outside of yourself?
1: I actually wasn't doing stand-up comedy in L.A. I tried it here mm-hmm. in Atlanta, where I live now. Yeah. I went to a couple open mics. Terrible. Bombed. I bombed, dude. I'm the first one to tell everybody. Yeah. I had people actually telling me, like, you should do stand-up comedy. It's hilarious yeah. what you do. But stand-up comedy is really its own art. It yeah. can be funny. You could be a funny person who's just funny. But you do stand-up comedy, and you could be terrible.
0: Yeah, stand-up comedy is kind of uh, – it's funny because I fall into that bucket that you're talking about mm-hmm. where you're like you can kind of be a funny person, right? Like if, you, you, if you're if you situationally funny, you get around your friends, you're kind of the guy who's going to make them laugh just naturally. Maybe off the cuff you got some funny comments or or you rip on someone and everyone else thinks it's funny. But that step between being funny like that and then being able to get in front of people and rattle off things that like are either pre-prepared – or written down that that in the moment that you wrote them, you thought that they were funny, but then you're kind of counting on this audience to randomly think that they're also on board with it. What did it feel like for you to be in front of people and know that you're actually bombing? Because that's perceived from the world as like one of the absolute most treacherous moments is to be up in front of people telling jokes and just fucking skidding.
1: I, I want to say, so I, I did it a couple times, actually. This is, I, I did it as a character and then then yeah and then i just i that still might work if i do the character with the right crowd if i was in la
0: yeah
1: it might work right but i did it here in atlanta and it was just the wrong crowd and then i went back again just as myself and it was terrible i just remember being out there like (laughs) we have five minutes and i was probably open like, like two minutes in and I could just, you could just feel it and you could tell by the look of people's faces, like, it's just not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> so it's oh that's, its a pretty terrible feeling, man. But I've had so much rejection, like just being an actor. For me, I handle it pretty good. I was just like, literally, as soon as the night was over, the next day, I was over it. Hello friends.
0: Please let me take a minute to share my experience about why I love my sponsor AG1. I started taking AG1 because I believe that health starts on the cellular level and believe that gut health is as important as brain health. Between surfing, strength training, jujitsu, striking, and running through businesses, I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I drink AG1 every morning before starting my day. And it makes me feel confident that no matter what happens, I've done a solid for myself and my well-being. As you may know, I'm a creature of habit and adding AG1 to my daily regimen is an easy to do tasteful hack that gives me assurance that I'm building my health 365 days a year. So if you wanna take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash A-B-E. That's drinkag1.com slash A-B-E. Check it out and take advantage of the offer. How do you handle that rejection? That's something that I, I think a lot of people face and whenever they're taking on anything creative. I mean, ranging from... Uh, in my case, reaching out to guests, Mm -hmm. you know, and them not willing to want to come on the show and then having to just keep moving forward because you care about what you're creating to being in an actual audition, really putting your heart and soul into a role, really developing the character and then them going, Oh, you're not our guy. Like, how do you develop the thick skin in that regard when you're in that industry? So me,
1: I'm just really stubborn, man. I don't like taking no for an answer if I really want to do something. I've just always been like that. I've chosen things that were really difficult, so so I could see if I can overcome it. So when I moved there, I, I literally had like everybody. When I first moved to Hollywood, they're like, "Mike's moving to Hollywood to be an actor." Because I'm really an introvert, man. And yeah. when I moved to Hollywood, it was like coming out of my shell, and then hearing what everybody was saying is so difficult to make it. Is so difficult to make it. Started going to auditions, wasn't booking anything. But like I'm so stubborn. I was like, I'm gonna book something. I'm gonna figure out why I'm not booking this. It wasn't more so like, oh, they're telling me no, I suck. I was like, I wanna figure out like what is it that I'm doing? What do I have to get better at? You know what I mean? Like I've been been an athlete my whole life and I'm all just about like working hard and getting results and figuring out. It's kinda like jujitsu is like if you're gonna go to the next level you have to you have to be able to show things from like white to blue, purple, whatever, like you're not going to get, for instance, like going to blue to purple, you're not really going to get that purple button until you can do multiple things from every position, chain techniques together, right? Yeah. Figure out if you're a blue button stuck, you got to figure out, okay, what is it part of my game that needs to get there? So that's kind of how my mentality was when I was in Hollywood. I didn't care about being told no, bro. I wanted to figure out why I was being told no.
0: Did you ever get that kind of feedback from people? I I feel like sometimes in those situations, you seek the why Mm -hmm. and people are kind of like, because you you just weren't right for it. And you're like, not really. Like, how am I supposed to build off that? What am I supposed to go back and work on? How do I get constructive criticism in this instance? So when you're digging for that, what kind of things were you hearing from them that you could go back and get better on and then come back in the future?
1: So this is the thing you hear people talk about, you're going to get a lot of no's. So the thing is, you hardly get any notes. Here's what I mean by that: you don't get any <laughs> feedback. You don't. They don't. You just don't hear from them. You go. If you're these yeah. are we're talking real auditions for network TV and movies. You'll go to an audition, and you just won't hear back from them. And that's kind of like you didn't get it. But as you're yeah. later in your career, like if you're somewhat of a notable talent, or that casting office knows who you are, your agent can then call. And they might give you give your agent time and tell them why you didn't get it. But that's very rare and that takes longer. So for me, it wasn't getting no's. I just wasn't hearing anything. So I, I literally had to just like bite my tongue, go to the best acting schools, and really not be afraid for them to be straightforward to say, Hey, here's what you're doing. You're doing this too much with your mouth. You're doing this too much with your eyes. You're doing comedy. Hey, your timing's off. Or like you're scrunching your face or you're, you're putting energy in your jaw. Here's an example. Of yeah. My very f- first really top level acting coach, her name is Saxon. She lives in LA. Mm-hmm. When I first started studying with her, she told me I was putting too much energy in my jaw, tension in my jaw when I get emotional. Yeah. And it's coming off on camera.
0: And I realized. Like you're trying to be sad. Yes. You're trying to be happy. And yeah. I
1: realized. Yeah. As soon as she said that, I went back in my head. Like. That one audition when I got this, I didn't get it. Maybe it starts clicking, bro. Right. So it took longer for me to figure out why I wasn't getting stuff. And I'm not gonna sit here and say, "Oh, yeah. I'm at Al Pacino now." But I can look right. at my auditions now because a lot of it's self-tape that you send in. I could look at my auditions mm-hmm. now, record them, and like my wife, you know, she can attest to this because she helps me film. I sometimes I'll do it once. I'll do the audition once, and I'll go, "That's it." And I've booked roles like that, recording at one time. Like you know, I, I know yeah. I could tell by looking at me.
0: It's so funny with that. I mean, you could ex- you know extrapolate that to jujitsu too. Like you look back at what you would do as a white belt, mm-hmm. and yeah, I have I have videos of like the very first tournaments I did. And I mean, all you know how to do is try your hardest based on the skill set that you've mm-hmm. developed, but you don't know what the fuck you're right. doing. And I had, dude, I when I was in. Uh, I live down in San Diego now, but when I was in LA, I I had always been interested in acting. Always, like I just I've always loved movies. I, I I've loved good characters. I've loved good writing and cinematography. And I hit this point where I was like, whether or not it's something I want to do, I got to experience this. I need to like go immerse myself in a school and do the whole thing and see what this is about. And so I started just with like doing Second City up in Hollywood and like doing some improv stuff, which was really fun. But then got into an actual like acting school in Santa Monica, and dude. I've done a lot of shit in my life and I've pushed myself through a lot of tough, like physically tough situations for years since I was a kid. Nothing has unraveled me the way the acting class did because you, you learn how to like peel back the layers of the onion that you've built around yourself through life Mm -hmm. from like learning how to suppress feelings or trying to look cool in front of your friends, you know, all these things that when you watch a good actor act, they're just responding exactly how they feel to this thing. And so I went through these classes. Some of the most emotional days of my life were just I'd get out of there and I'm like, whoa, dude, I, I'm feeling things on a different level that like I don't feel stuff like this. And it was crazy being around other people and watching them go through that too. And you see people little things like that, like they they're the teacher would be like, You're you're being sad. Stop being sad. Let yourself feel feel sad and people are like what do you mean because they think like (laughs) you know like make the face look like it's like this and when you see that and then you go watch uh actors act or watch people just be around in public around your group of friends or whatever how people are always they're they're suppressing shit trying to make themselves look a way that they're not it was such a trip so whenever i talk to people that uh have acted or, or are acting I have so much respect for it. Cause it's a completely different type of trying to understand who you are.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, when I have a lot of, I've helped people with their taped auditions, like new people mm-hmm. and I've coached them and some of them have book stuff. I'll use this as, as an example when it comes to like acting, anybody who wants to get into it and like what you were just talking about people trying too hard. I I, I tell them, has anybody ever came to your house like a family member or a friend or something tragic happens as soon as you open the door, you look at their face, and they don't have to say a word. Yeah. You see it and you feel it. I go, that's acting. Acting yeah. is really being something, not trying to be something. Because I don't have to say a word. Like let's say something really to your, your your grandma or somebody got in a car accident and you're – Brother or sister knocks on your door, you open the door. As soon as you look at them, you know something without them saying anything. I tell yeah. people you have to get to that. The camera picks it all up.
0: Yeah. I know you think you think about that like uh when you're watching a good movie, you know those shots where uh the dialogues, I don't remember the name for this in editing, but the dialogues running over a clip, but the person in the clip's not saying the dialogue the right? like there's yeah. three people in a mm-hmm. room, whatever that's called and they hit this person's eyes, and it's just that. Mm-hmm. And you go, wow. Of all the shots that the editors had that day on the cutting room, that's the one they went with. And that actor got this shot where for a second it was just their eyes because that little snippet said more about the whole scene, the whole story, the whole moment than anything else could have. Yes. That's what it feels like. And when when you see bad acting, it's just because you feel like it's phony. It's like not a... Uh, not authentic, not real. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to, to break through that when you're, if you're helping someone out and they're, whether it's an audition tape or, or something else, I feel like that's such a hard thing to get someone to feel or see.
1: Uh, one guy, he, uh, he had this scene where he was like a drug dealer and mm. he was being busted. He was being taken away from his family. So he had to show the emotion of what it was like. Right. So before we even did the scene, I asked him, "I go, you ever been like arrested before?" And he started the way he started. I watched him how he was telling it. Yeah. I I watched everything as he was telling me this the the story of what happened in real life, and I go, "Oh, okay." I picked up on what he really did, like what organically he really did, because as he was telling me that story, I felt it, and so I saw what he was doing with his eyes. I saw his body language. And then as we went to do the scene, of course, he started doing different things like he was trying to act. And I broke down the words he was saying. I like, remember when you just told me right now that part, blah, blah, blah. And he did this with like with his eyes. He's like, yeah, that feeling right there. That's how you got to do that first part. That's you. And we broke it down like that. I connect it with something real about them. Yeah, you got to find a way. As you're, if you're coaching somebody or talking to them, you got to find a way to connect to the core of them. Because, like yeah. I was saying, when you open the door, something tragic happens. You don't have to say nothing. You're connecting to what's coming out of them. It's so powerful. Yeah, that's 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 really what you have to do. So I pay just pay attention to that. I do that in general with people when I meet people. I pay attention, man, to like what's really coming off of them a lot of times now i could tell somebody's lying to me like right away my wife's even better yeah.
0: <laughs> just right away. well you you're you're picking up on these these subconscious tendencies that people have that you see as phoniness instantly because you know what a real reaction exactly. is and when you say someone yo you got my car keys and they're like no nah, i haven't seen them and they're like the fuck you haven't <laughs> you just told me you have <laughs> you know exactly yeah. where they are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know It's it's Mm -hmm. wild. It's funny. I I hate uh, I hate doing this, but I do it a lot of of connecting jujitsu to everything. But it is kind of entertaining how when you watch a high skilled person roll, Mm -hmm. they're intuitive in their movement, right? So they're like you flow. Whether it's flow rolling as a standalone exercise, or it's flow rolling in just how they move from one to the other, like you said, linking Mm -hmm. things together right they're just they're in one they're out the other two high level people training together really great to watch you watch an athletic new first couple weeks on the mat there's so much resistance uh physically and mentally and everything they're doing partially because they don't know what to do right and then partially because they're trying to rely on the skill set that they do have might be strength for example Mm -hmm. and so you see that same kind of uh challenge in understanding the movement. You watch someone brand new to acting or, or someone in a their first ever role, you see a lot of that, they're dealing with like the resistance. And then you watch a a, a tenured actor or someone, maybe a, even an acting coach or something in a school, mm-hmm. and it's so impressive how quickly they can find that uh like that level of realness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh the thing about jujitsu is like I, I played football. I played football for eleven years and as you were talking about like, you know, somebody like comes in, they're they're new, like explosive. All yeah. you knew when you were playing football is to be a rock, be a rock, be explosive, be a rock, be a rock, right? Yeah. But you have to flow in jiu-jitsu, you have to be water. You can't always yeah. be the rock or else you're not gonna be able to hit that sweep, you're not gonna be able to hit you know what I mean, take somebody's back. You yeah. can't do that sometimes being a rock. So yeah
0: when when was your first i guess like break or the first time in in hollywood where you felt like oh shit <laughs> this is happening
1: so i auditioned for this uh independent film this was back like in 2004 right i use this as an example i actually didn't get this part but you have to you have to hear mm-hmm. the story so The name of the director's name is Art Camacho. Like, if you go on IMDb, he's, he's directed a whole bunch of movies. He was shooting this film, and I remember when I got the breakdown, I read it, and I'm like, oh, that's totally me. I showed up with, like, a jean jacket, tank top, jeans. It kind of looked like a bad boy character. Bro, I showed up. This was in Hollywood, mind you. I showed up, and there was probably at least 15 people that were waiting in the lobby. We all looked alike, man. And they were auditioning people from like, I don't know, from like 9 a.m. to like 5. And my block that I was in there was maybe like an hour total of me waiting to go in. And in that time, I saw that amount of people. Well, I just saw people going in and out when they are auditioning. I went to, I walked in and I auditioned in front of like 15 people. I nailed it, bro. I nailed it. The reason why I know that is because a guy who was calling people in and out, when he led me out, he goes, "They want you to wait here." Right? Oh, yeah. For real? He, and everyone else is going oh. in and out. Well, I did not get the part, and I was like, "Dude, I was like, I nailed it." Just goes to show you, it doesn't matter how much you nail the audition if you're not right for the part. Some a lot of times you're yeah. not going to get it. I ended up seeing the guy who got the part, and he matched the brother of the character that I was auditioning for, they looked alike and I looked nothing like that guy.
0: So you had, you had the delivery and you had the whole charisma, but it was a a image thing that they were trying to link up.
1: There was no way people would think that we were brothers. Right. So that was one of my first auditions where I felt like everything was clicking. And right after that audition, I started booking roles.
0: And so these are at this point, these are paid Mm -hmm. roles, right? You're, you're starting to earn income yeah. doing this pipe dream thing that you went out to do that. Everyone was like, the hell's exactly. Mike going to do? There's no going to be an actor. What's that feel like? That's a dream for a lot of people, man. I mean, uh, around the world, so many people want to make it mm-hmm. in entertainment. And, and even if the degrees to which you can make it are, you know, very, the difference between wanting to be an actor and actually booking a role separates hundreds of thousands of people, right? You're in a comp that alone, bam, booking that, you are now in a different group of people, Mm -hmm. whether it's an independent film, a big blockbuster film. It's just the fact that you put yourself into this thing, put all this energy, this creative energy and focus, and then somewhere someone like recognized that you were right for that. What did that feel like?
1: It really felt like all those auditions that I went to was all worth it. It felt like all the time that I'm putting in all those acting classes. It felt like all the stuff that people were saying. It felt like it was behind me. I wasn't. I didn't feel like oh, you made it. No, right. But to go in an audition where hundreds, sometimes thousands, people audition for that same role for one role, and I got it. It's like I really don't need anybody else to sit there and tell me, like oh. You're never gonna have any success. This and that. It's just like, dude, you have any idea what just happened? You have any <laughs> idea the process that I went through? You go to the audition, you go to the callback, you might even go to a second callback, and then they pick you. And on all those callbacks, you have to be on it because if you stumble, some other guy who right. is coming to the callback too, he doesn't stumble, he gets it.
0: It's so cutthroat, man. It's so competitive. It's
1: so hard. It's harder than people think, yeah. man. It's it's a lot harder to make it to really And when I say make it, I don't necessarily mean being a star. I mean be a working actor. Yeah, it's way harder I mean, can you?
0: Think. I I think that's a really important distinction. Can you unpack what that means? Because I think a lot of times the perception is mm-hmm. you are either a wannabe actor slash bartender, <laughs> or you're Leonardo DiCaprio, and there's no middle ground. There's no people that are booking recurring roles. There's no people that are paying their rent. Uh, keeping their car payments and their families fed on on non-starring roles. So like, what does it mean to be a working actor? And what kind of lifestyle does that allow?
1: So I have a friend, i uh, use him as an example. He actually started around the same time as me. His name is Matt Madrono. You can look him on IMDb, really nice guy. Um, we've been friends. He's actually, when he came out to Atlanta from LA, he stays in my house. He's a working actor now. He started like the same time I did. So now what that means is he books guest stars on big network shows. He Mm -hmm. books recurrings. He was just on um, The Walking Dead. The uh, not the regular one, but the other one that the re-up that they did. I forgot the name of it. Um, Fear of the Walking Dead. Fear of the Walking Dead. He had uh, a big part on there. So now for him, he makes his living just on acting. Like he doesn't have to be a bartender anymore. He actually had a bar, or uh, he was waiting tables. Actually, I remember this, I remember him telling me.
0: Well, it's such a stereotype, but it makes total sense, right? Because yeah. those two jobs, bartending and waiting tables, mm-hmm. they allow flexibility of schedule and they're opposite hours to what would be a booking schedule. So it's the joke is that everyone's like actors and bartenders, or but or what Mm -hmm. (laughs) or work at an advertising campaign to be an actor That shit's not going to fly because you got to be there nine to six you know
1: so it's just there's a small percentage of people who make it into that category if you're working like if you know if your your agent's getting calls for you hey even if it's a one-day role you don't have to audition for because you've already solidified yourself with your body of work that you're now considered a person who's in demand, whether you're a star or just into that working class. So yeah, yeah. man, it's really hard to get there.
0: When you're at that point and you're you are booking roles and you are working with an agent and they're starting to get you stuff too. And you're maybe a little bit further away from like the acting class grind and you're starting to be recognized. It does there get to a point where you're like over it. It's like, it becomes work like anything else does and it loses some of that like shine, some of that luster. And you end up just like you're in the grind again, like anything else.
1: It kind of goes back to when you first started, who was really supportive of you? Like, did you bring anybody along the way? So when you made it, Mm -hmm. how many friends and real normal people are around you? I think the people that really get tired of it, are the people who get to that point and it's like they have really no support around them. They feel like they're alone, even though they've made it. You know what I mean? And Hollywood can make you feel like that, like the vibe of living there. I mean, I'm obviously not going to talk completely down about it. You know what I mean? But a lot of people who live there know what I'm talking about. It gets really lonely, even though there's a lot of people there. There's that superficial feeling. It's like, okay, you book a guest star. You're like, yeah. You want to kind of go out and celebrate with your father. Oh, he's not really my friend because he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah mom, oh, she, you know what I mean. So I, yeah. I, I it like was funny like I, that. I
0: moved. I moved to LA in 2011. I was there for a decade, and I had a lot of friends that moved along with me. So I had a you know a circle of people that preexisted. But it is funny, like. I love LA for a lot of reasons. I think energetically that city has so much going on for it. like when you're there, you really kind of do feel like you got to produce and like make things, but there is some part of it where in a lot of, you talk about like, you can tell when someone's lying right when you meet them, a lot of times you meet someone there and it's hard to tell if they're kind of like, nice to meet you. What can I guess exactly. is almost the undertone. And that's kind of weird. Like, I grew up in, you know, a smaller town in Colorado, and when you meet someone, you meet them, to the best of your knowledge, mm-hmm. right? But there's no, they don't want anything from you, because they already got their, their life's already, you know, stable or or whatever. And that's a weird thing to to experience repeatedly, because uh, uh, happening here, happening there, you kind of write it off. Oh, whatever, that person's a little bit strange, or like, that's not really, I don't, that's not really my vibe, this group of people. But when it happens all the time, then you're like, it just kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit. Is that why you you dipped out to Atlanta?
1: So, I'm originally from Northern California. I'm originally from the two and so I got to represent that. <laughs> I, <saw, laughs> I was
0: going to ask you about it.
1: Nate Diaz won. Nate Diaz right. won anyway. So like, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, so I'm originally from up there. I moved to LA, which is like a five and a half hour drive. And I did get to that point where I got burnt out. I got, I started getting frustrated, but when you feel like that, you're going to carry that vibe into your auditions. And I, I think it's, totally. I think it affected me. And then I just ended up leaving LA. I started dating this girl that I knew from a long, a long time ago, I started paying attention to her. But I guess, you know, I really wasn't acting anymore. I had a talent agent in San Francisco where I was auditioning for like commercials, but that's not really being in it, you know? Right. And out of the blue, my current agent right now who I met in LA who was running his own talent agency, who was representing people out here in like Georgia. And he just called me out of the blue and he was like, Mike, he was like, I was back in Northern California at at this point guy left LA. He goes, what are you doing up there, dude? He's like, you need to move, leave there, blah blah. And I was like, I don't know anybody there. And he started telling me, I think if you move down there, I can really hook you up, really. Out to Atlanta, yeah. Or yeah, so leave. Yeah.
0: Atlanta is huge for production, and yeah, it's... and it's like Hollywood too. Exactly,
1: right? it's the Hollywood itself. Yeah. yeah. So I came to visit, and I was here for like ten days, just you know, kind of going around and feeling the vibe here. And I just ended up, I just took a chance. This was in 2017 and I moved yeah. here by myself. I have no family or anybody packed up my car and I left.
0: Well, you're used to that, right? You did that for LA Yeah, too. but you know <laughs> what I mean? You go
1: across the yeah. country by yourself.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's I do not know deal.
1: anybody, man. And I was just like, dude, I'm really taking a chance. I mean, I'm not in my twenties anymore. So it's like, if this is, if I'm going to do this, this has to work. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this I just found out as soon as I moved here, man. This was my place. Yeah. So I met my wife here, and yeah, it's good.
0: And is that did you start getting into stunt work in Los Angeles? Or did you start getting into stunt work when you were out in Atlanta.
1: So I did a couple stunt gigs when I was in LA, but like, I wasn't like training to be a stunt guy. It just so happened that mm-hmm. uh, a role that I booked, I had to do like a easy fight scene. Uh, Like two different movies. So I really wasn't like a stunt guy per se. But when I moved here, man, it was like, all right, anything that I ever thought about wanting to do, I'm going to do it right. You know what I mean? And I was, I just happened to see somebody, I think post on Facebook or something saying that there's a stunt school come train on Saturday or something. And I went and I did it. And I was just like, you know, I've been asking my whole life. I did it a couple times. Yeah, I thought about being a stunt guy, but I never did it. So then I started training with stunt people here in Atlanta. So, yeah, it it all kind of came full circle, man. So,
0: Did that feel cool, getting booked to do stunts on Black Adam? I mean, that's a major production. That's a full-blown, you know, multiple stars headlining, big budget, Marvel. Like, was that kind of a trip in and of itself?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, the the rocks there, you know, his, his brother... I mean, his cousin, who's his main stunt guy. Uh, Yeah, it's a fun experience, man. Everybody's super cool. Everyone knows each other here in the stunt community in Atlanta. So, I I I knew some people who were already on it. Like they, some of them went to the stunt school I was training at. So, yeah, you make a lot of money too. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's sick, right? What's what's that preparation process like? Uh, I mean, I can imagine obviously stunts are going to be more physical, right? You have to, if it's a car chase or if it's a fight scene or something, you have to be prepared to do the physical element of it. But do you prepare for that similar to when you're creating a character in your head and you're trying to get in that zone to to be them for a scene? Do you try to embody characteristics of the person that you're stunting for so that you kind of stunt as if it were them? Like what's, what's the stunt process in preparation versus like the acting process for a character? Well,
1: the good thing about the stunts is they tell you like what you'll be doing. Like they'll reach out to you. You'll either get like, you know, an email or something say, Hey, what's your schedule for this? And they'll tell you what type of stunt that it is. So it kind of depends what stunt that it is, but the stuff that I done, it's wasn't really like anything extensive. Uh, I actually, I I doubled for John Travolta before. I don't know if. I'm, oh no! Yeah, I was a stunt double, man. I'll send you a picture after we get off of this. And on um Die Hard, it was Kevin Hart's TV show. It's actually still on right now. On. Yeah, yeah, I was John's stunt double on that. And there was a scene where he gets shot, and so the only thing that I did was I walked up to the guy who shoots him put my hands up like this and then he pulls out a gun and shoots me and just got shot, boom, fall back and die. So I knew they, they tell you how they're going to shoot it. Yeah. So if it was more like a side shot or something, I guess there'd be more acting into it, but they said all it's going to be is from behind. So just when he pulls the gun out, put your hands up. And then when he shoots you, then you do your thing. So to answer your question, as far as like the acting versus stunts and stuff that I've done personally, I've never really had to get into it for Black Adam or for John, for John Travolta. I did do a movie like in 2015 where I was like a, like a hitman for this mafia guy. And I had dialogue and like, I was actually acting slash stunting. So for that movie I did called cold press, it's like, you can still watch that too. You could see it clear. You could watch it in clear as day, and be like, "Well, yeah, you're seeing my face. You're watching my expressions, not only my acting, but I had to do get into it. I had to slam this guy's head on the that table, and you could see my face and everything." So
0: that always gives me so much respect for for actors that do their stunts because that's crazy. Like, I mean, think about like John Wick, mm-hmm. right? Keanu Reeves going and putting in the time to go train tactical shooting, to go train jujitsu, to get real reps, not like pretend reps, but actually learn jujitsu. And then you watch the movie and the movie's dope because it feels it is a movie, right? So you know it's not real. And like John Wick is insane. It's an insane scenario. But when you watch the movement, when you watch the fight scenes, they're some of the best modern day fight scenes you watch because it's actually the dude really doing the stuff with trained people and it looks sick.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's a hard worker, uh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, he actually trained with the uh, the Camarillo brothers. You know, Dave and Dan Camarillo. They're Judo and Jiu Jitsu black belts. They helped him train. They actually used to teach at the first Jiu Jitsu uh, school I went to in Northern California. No way. Yeah, yeah. And here's another funny thing. I actually used to do private security when I lived in LA. It was like one of my side jobs. I was Keanu yeah. Reeves' personal security detail. On one of his uh movies, I had to follow him, make sure nobody messed with them at uh, one of his movies. no yeah, way I had like long hair like you could see me like on the celebrity uh photos of him you could see me standing behind him with the suit. It was hilarious
0: no yeah no. man so you're ready to use some of that cholo m m a if anyone <laughs> come at you right
1: that's, that's so funny bro yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it's a it's a trip it's really cool when actors when they invest in that kind of thing, because it wears on the body, man. I mean, you you and I both know, right? Like, train jujitsu. Even if you were to get up to, if, if you had never done it, you were to get up to speed enough to have a scene that wasn't super mm-hmm. corny, your body is going to get banged up. Training for that. It's not going to be, mm-hmm. like, super good, right? Your back's going to feel like shit. Like, your neck's going to be tweaked. So for them to forego using a stunt double in that situation is pretty admirable. How do you feel about like celebrities that train jiu but they like kind of don't because they just hire someone and then they do these private sessions but then they they share and post and talk about it like they're training all the time and they're like advancing their belts up but really like they're paying someone they're just kind of giving them their belts i always feel like that's so whack
1: yeah i've i've wondered man uh one person who i know for sure earned it and trains hard is mario Lopez really yeah man he i respect he, that he's you could he goes in there and does like videos and like he's trains. oh people. you
0: know what he trains at uh meraki i think
1: uh, Grace, one of the in, Gracie uh Baja. i see him all
0: the time in, in all that maybe it's not meraki well, he maybe goes everywhere not. though all shout out yeah yeah
1: well i know mario is is, is legit he's oh, he's done tournaments too he's done tournaments
0: oh uh, that's he's, true he's won. that's true
1: and he was yep. he's sick at wrestling like he was sick at wrestling in cool. high school and he's sick at boxing too. Uh, so he's legit. But yeah, I know what you're saying. I've seen some other people. I won't say any names. Uh, yeah, me either. I, I <laughs> mean, if you're only rolling with such and such professor, maybe one person, can your jiu really get good? You have to roll with different body types, no. bro. You and I both know that.
0: Yeah. And there's just like, man, jujitsu is... The more I do it, like the further along I, I get, the more I realize the more, you know, the less, yeah. you know, for sure. Like the more skilled you get, your belt doesn't mean anything, right? It, it You get, a, a you can be big, big, fast and strong. I'm strong. I'm mm-hmm. young and I'm fast and I'm a purple belt and I could train with someone who's in their second week. And if they were a collegiate yes. wrestler and they're 205 and fast mm-hmm. as hell, my belt doesn't mean shit. I can do everything to my best ability and I would try a hundred percent, but like there's just elements to the art that are like, they're different. And your perception from the outside is that you just think the belt system's this like linear ladder of knowledge and that the people at the top are like untouchable, like sense it is not true because an AOJ black Mm -hmm. belt who's training seven days a week and doing every single tournament under the sun compared to like some black belt in Kentucky at like an after school no, academy sorry. that's not the same no, it's shit, really dude. Not, it is not, not, not. and then then you add in guys that are you know you start training at an academy you end up you meet MMA dudes and the MMA dudes are white belt and a half and they're knocking people out so like that guy's not really a white belt either you know so it ends up being this like i respect the belt system and i enjoy it and i think it's an important part of keeping people motivated to show up over and over but it's a little sometimes it's smoke and mirrors too
1: yeah i just gotta, i walk into class every time with the white belt mentality bro same I, I,
0: every time
1: like i was so like i mean i was like when i was a blue belt it's was like man i can't wait till i get to purple belt when i get to purple belt blah, blah, blah. you know what i what mean? you're thinking and then you finally yeah, get yeah. there and i'm just like you know what I'm not going to stop training jiu-jitsu until I physically can't anymore. What does it really matter with my belt is I'm having fun. I'm not going to yeah. go super crazy. I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm trying to compete super hard. I'm just going to have fun doing jiu-jitsu every single time. That's where my mentality is yeah. at now. So Did, when you
0: came back to it, you said like you were a blue belt for a while and then you stopped. What made you stop? And then what brought you back into it? Cause now you train, you train yeah. regularly.
1: Doing yep. my comedy videos is what made me come back to training, like at an academy, to we're starting to rank up again. So, I met um, a buddy of mine. His name's Christian Bernetti. He's he's actually another. He's a stunt guy and an actor too. He lives here in Atlanta. Oh. I went to a stunt school, and the guy said, "Hey, you know, we're having a jiu-jitsu guy that's going to teach uh, this weekend. You should come." And I hadn't trained Jiu-Jitsu like at all. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come. So I came and I met Christian. And he started inviting me to train with him at his house in his garage. And that's right around the same time I started doing the Cholo MMA stuff. And I said to myself, and I even told him, I was like, do I have to keep training because now I'm having people message me, like asking me, hey, where are you training at? And like, I had this, I already had this feeling if I'm gonna keep doing these videos, I'm gonna start getting called out. People are gonna to want to come train with me, and if people find out that I'm not really training, yeah. then I'm then I'm just a straight imposter, bro. Right? Yeah, and then it would die. Then it, so it would weird. die, and then I was I was forced to now go to a regular school, which I go to now. And Christian actually is one of the teachers there now. So it kind of just all worked out. But doing the Cholo MMA stuff is what got me back to training jujitsu regularly.
0: So when did you guys tell me the genesis story of Cholo MMA. <laughs> so I if when if I look at like Instagram I kind of think back to like the first time I came across you guys and I was like wow this is fucking good dude. Uh I had seen the Cholo Creeper. Mm-hmm. Is it Cholo Creeper Cholo uh-huh. Fit? Cholo yeah. Fit? Cuz I was so I was a, in LA I was a personal trainer for years and when the Cholo Fit stuff came out some like relative uh-huh. of had sent it to me as, like, a kind of making fun of me, right? Like, oh, you're a trainer. You'll think it's funny. Dude, and I saw that video with the squats, and I was, like, in tears. Yeah. I thought that that It was so funny. And then that guy's account fucking blew up. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't even know, actually, the timelines. You can correct me here. But I, I came across that prior to coming across you guys. Probably came across you guys because I had then been training jiu But was there any, like... Crossed inspiration. Do you guys know each other? Did you did you meet each other later, kind of thing?
1: I, I had seen his videos. My yeah. idea, honestly, for for this character was from Jacob Argus from Next Friday. That's literally I was at home yeah. one day, and this is when I before I moved here to Atlanta, and I was watching Next Friday, and I had a beanie that was sitting there on the couch, and I was I had my phone, and I was like, let me see if I could imitate him. That's literally how it went. Right. And I filmed myself. I had like the iPhone back then it was the iPhone four or something like that, right? So I just filmed it and sent it to a couple of friends. They said, oh, you're pretty good at it, um, imitating him. And so I just did like a, I filmed a sketch when I was home by myself, and I, I filmed a sketch and people laughed. And fast forward, you know, to answer your question, that that's literally where the idea for me to do what I'm doing came from him. I love the movie Next Friday. I, I, Jacob's hilarious. I met him in person when I was living in L.A. I get the whole L.A. cholo. Like I have cousins and uncles that were real cholos. A lot of some of my ideas that I get, sketches now, is derived from cousins. But yeah, our idea is totally separate than from what other people are doing. For sure.
0: And it's noticeably different. And I think one of the... Similar to his, but in a different light you you have developed characters around Cholo Fit, right? Like, Toker is a character mm-hmm. doing these technique drills that are one, that, like, it's not like, it, it's very clear that you guys didn't just look up Jiu-Jitsu mm-hmm. on YouTube, right, and try to replicate it because you had some characters and you're like, ah, how do we get these guys to do jujitsu? jitsu no, It's clear that you guys know jujitsu, and you're developing these characters around it. And I think That magic is what makes it so funny because it is (laughs) jujitsu. But it's also this hilarious group of guys that are kind of like, you know, dogging on Mm -hmm. each other and fucking each other up and slapping each other in the face to show you moves while maintaining these like very specific items like the long socks, the Cortez, Mm -hmm. the hat, everything. That's like it's such a fun creation that I think anyone who does jujitsu can get behind
1: yeah, the, the one thing that – it started off with with uh, Dewey and myself first. His, uh, he's uh, He goes by Cholo BJJ. That's his Instagram. Yeah. It was him and I first, I, which he never – he didn't try a, train a day of jiu in his life at that point.
0: So he was like your Uki. Yeah. <laughs> Uke, I actually yeah. called
1: him to come to my house when I first had that idea I was telling you about when I was sitting at home and I saw McGee in my closet. Yeah. I called him and I was like, dude, I have this idea. Because he had been watching my spoof videos and he wanted to be in them. Yeah. So I called him and I was like, Hey, come over here. I have this idea. And I got put him like in an ankle lock or something. And he had no yeah. idea what was going on. And I was just like, roll that way. <laughs> so <he'd roll> again. <laughs> He had no idea what you just, judici- he was. He had no idea what it was. Back then.
0: You're like, you're jacking up his ankles. He's trying to just. Yeah.
1: Learn. And then That's when good. we added uh junior, he's a local fighter. He's actually about to get his brown ball, by the way. Uh, Final yeah, Junior. so when we brought him on, I was really particular about anybody who we were gonna let in because I knew when I was telling Dewey, I was like, I knew that we had something that could really be something if we did it right.
0: When you say you knew, like, was this at 5,000 followers? Was this at 10? Like, had it gained. Somewhat of a viral like growth No, this is before yet.
1: before then this was like really new
0: uh wow so this is your conception like you're still thinking of this in your head. It's not really even in existence I was like
1: really it. thinking prophetically bro believe it or not, yeah that was my yeah. mind was i I had just like that feeling I just i could see I could see it even when I was explaining mm. it to Dewey he didn't understand it because he never trained jujitsu, jitsu right yeah, and now we talk back about the old times he's like, dude Mike you were really ahead of it. I was like, bro, I just knew. So when we, when I junior messaged me, he told me he was training jujitsu consistently, and I wasn't at the time. So a light bulb went off, and I was like, I think we got to bring him on because he's Latino and he gets it. He was very supportive of all the videos that do and I do and I had did prior, and he was training. Yeah. And when us three linked up and we started doing it, we made it very clear. That we cannot compromise when it comes to technique. Like, whatever video.
0: Dude, 100%, because that would have shot it in the foot from day one.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. We all knew that just how, how, you know how it is, how strict it is with jujitsu. Like, if.
0: Well, people will call you like, out. Okay, that's not a real road. move. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. So, even now when we're shooting the technique videos, like, you know, even though I'm mostly the face of it, I'm doing a lot of the techniques. Yeah. Dewey and Junior are like they're coming up with ideas and like Junior has corrected me several times I'm the first one to tell you like even when it comes hey Mike don't grab it like that because if you grab the gi like that black belts are going to rip you apart like stuff like that which I appreciate you know what I mean So we're very particular about every single technique that we do we don't cut we're not going to cut corners we're all training really hard and and I'm not I mean, I'm not a black belt and I don't mind if I really do something that's not, that needs to be corrected. I don't have any pride. And if especially coming, for, if it's correction from a black belt, I'll take it, man. That's literally for where it. I'm at.
0: But at the end of the day, also, mm-hmm. you're, you are creating, you're taking uh, foundational concepts, but you're putting this com- comedic spin on it. So, it might not be technically the most sound, but it's also not 100% the move, right? Like the 209 slap, like (laughs) that that just changes the movement, right? But it's hilarious. But it's like, that's, you know, that's uh, knee pressure, sweep over the head, grab the arm, roll back. You just throw this slap in it, which changes this one Mm -hmm. element, adds some humor, and then you get a a move that's traditional, but twisted a little bit. What, in the growth of like the whole thing, and now, you know, you got like, Cub Swanson's wearing your your rash guards and stuff like this. Like This (laughs) is permeated into the MMA community, Mm -hmm. right? So Mike has this idea, brings on his two homies. You guys start working on stuff. They don't really get it 100%, but you're all on board. As you start creating videos, I would imagine this is 110% a side project, right? You're kind of doing this for fun on the side. When did you start to feel like what you were seeing in terms of like feedback and engagement was matching what your original ideas were that where this could go.
1: So in 2019 it was like 2019, it was still Dewey and myself. Junior hadn't joined us yet. Right. And this was towards the end of 2019. We maybe have done like four or five technique videos. Good. And then I, I want to say, junior he messaged maybe early 2020 and then the pandemic happened bro so Not true. here's what happened when that when we got locked down is when he started filming with us we had the time there. yeah we had the yep. time so to answer your question it was because of really what's happening we're like okay we have the time let's do this full throttle let's go full because yeah. we have the time So we were filming like twice a week, and then Dominant Cruz shared one of our technique videos on his Instagram, like on his page. Uh, Unbeknownst to you guys. Unbeknownst to us. We literally had been filming maybe two months, three months, probably three months. This is in 2020. And I was just sitting there at home one day, and I refreshed my Instagram, and he reposted on his page. One of our technique videos,
0: and it blew up.
1: And he started following, and then he would start talking to us. And this is still in 2020, and the guys and us, we talked, and we, I was like, dude, should we message Dominic? Ask him if he'd be down to film with us. So we ended up going out to San Diego to film with Dominic and the guys. We have—I'm not sure if you've seen that footage. We did like a funny sketch with him.
0: I went pretty deep on the Instagram scrolling, but you can only load like you know so much at a time. I I feel like I saw Dominic with you guys, but I don't think I saw the piece where he was actually. We did it.
1: actually like a uh, like a little mini series. We we filmed with Dominic Cruz. We filmed with Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. We filmed with uh, Max Payne Griffin. All those guys at Alpha Male. We did like yep. six episodes with like different fighters with like a little bit of a tiny bit of a storyline with the funny yeah, uh, technique stuff.
0: And you're Toker with them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've still think we're. That's got to be so yeah. fun. <laughs> we were, we still talk about it. We, we feel like we kind of were ahead of our time with that. Cause we didn't really have the following when we started that. Some people had.
0: That's it's a hard part it. about content creation, mm-hmm. man. It's like. I think when you're creating anything you you're creating it because you believe in it. Right? Like that's I'm here right now because I believe in this show more than more than anyone else who ever comes on it will believe in it. Period. And that's in like my heart, right? So I'm going to show up every single day and I'm going to do this with everything that I have because I can I can see the big vision that no one else can ever see cuz they're not right. me. But the but the problem is that when you think like that and when you're you do have big goals and big dreams is that you want things that are maybe best placed a little bit further down the line. You want them early because that's kind of what you equate success to is like, Oh dude, if we have Cruz on the, on the account doing videos, he's one of the biggest, most decorated fighters in UFC history, right? That's that's Mm -hmm. our guy. But if that happens too soon, You can't undo the soonness of it, you know? Whereas, like, if that happened down the line, and as a creator, you have no idea where that point is, ever. And you can't not take opportunities when they present themselves. So it's, like, this funky kind of fail-forward attitude that you have to adopt to keep believing in those things. How did that, uh, like, what did that do to the account And how did that affect the way that you guys thought about it as a group?
1: It it was actually right on time because it helped us gain more followers, Mm -hmm. and the fighters who we actually filmed with, they were all on board. They they just liked us as people. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, you are Dominic Cruz and these three guys doing cholo videos. You invite them to your to your school. You don't know them for nothing, right? That's still, yeah. that's even a chance in itself and just yeah. chatting with him. And like, he just got like, got, you know, a liking to us and, you know, we talked to him, you know, pretty frequently. We went out there a few more times after that, just, just to go when they're training. Yeah. So he, it's weird to say, but he's kind of like our friend. And so for us, it was right on time because we started getting respect from the fighters and they're seeing that we're training. And even though our, our following at the time, When we had one out there, even a little bit after, wasn't huge. It was enough to feel like we were validated. Keep going. More people, little by little, are going to start watching. We'll eventually have the breakthrough. And I believe we've had that since then. We've had that. Yeah. You know? So it was right on time. It was what we needed to get us just a little bit. Progress in all ways.
0: What do you think about the future of something like this? I, I think one of the challenges of growth online is it gets to a point where it's like, okay, yo, people are watching this. People think it's funny, we're trying to make it funny. So people are getting what we're giving. Uh, technically, we're sound. So like the diehards get it too, because we're not doing fake, phony mm-hmm. shit. Uh, people that are outside of the sport or outside of the art, but like get the comedy are in, are on the account's growing it's just us three people how do we monetize this right like at some point you you have something awesome that you're creating how do you turn this into a thing that can grow like what a uh, what do you do from now to i don't know it's beyond fall follow- i don't want to think about it in terms of followers just because like the, the followers can do whatever they want but like how does this become a pilot how does this become uh a brand outside of just the account. Like when did those conversations start coming up? And, and you guys think about it from like a business perspective, not just a creation perspective.
1: So when uh, we came up with our rash guards yeah. and it was just kind of like an idea to see if people were really going to like them. And right at the same time, the conversation was people had been messaging us, asking us to come out and do seminars at the schools. In the,
0: caricature of a toker and like the groove yeah yeah
1: so it was like seminars clothing brand yeah and we had thinking to do another series which dewey and i you know wrote down the plot points to it the other day actually we're developing another series really combining now all of You know, our creativity as far as being able to write. I've wrote several scripts, writing real script, doing actual real stunt scenes with real stunt people that I've met, bringing it all together. All the stuff that I've done, working with real stunt people on major feature films, bringing them in, coordinating scenes, doing just straight sketch comedy, funny stuff. So doing more serious stuff, doing films possibly as the characters and as not characters traveling, doing seminars, expanding our clothing. I really see it like, I don't really see a limit. I don't really see a limit. It seems like some more things keep getting added to what we're doing. And this is what we wanted. This is what we wanted. And I don't know if people know this one either. I'll kind of just drop this one on you. (laughs) I had a channel back like in 2014 to like 2016, it's on YouTube still, uh, a channel called Fight Mike MMA where I was going around mm-hmm. just interviewing people just as myself. I hadn't developed a Toker character yet. There's a, I have a YouTube channel. I have yeah. like over a thousand subscribers on it. It kind of just stopped. I interviewed everybody, man. I was going to regional shows. I was going to school, just doing regular interviews. I had a little bit of funny stuff I did to it, but it hadn't really gotten to that point yet. So all of the stuff that I've done with the fight Mike stuff, with the movies, with the stunts and the stunt people, with writing scripts now. Dewey does music. He actually raps and he's really good. Yeah. He some of his music we put on some of our videos. He does like trap rap and he's really talented rapper. He directs like music videos here in Atlanta. Um, Junior's amazing with the editing. He does all the editing for our videos now. Like he's got it down to a science. Like he's put a lot of hours into it. So we're all doing our thing. We really do have a lot of ideas. We have a lot of layers to what we're doing. I think a lot of people are seeing now like the back history of how we all started. We weren't just some guys who thought of, let's do randomly do cholo videos one day.
0: It's funny though, too, because the the belt, so as much as we kind of like joked about belts, I actually think about this with this show a lot and and what you guys are doing too. As you guys continue doing Mm jujitsu, your credibility only grows and there's a play on that too within the you know, Toker getting his next belt is a hilarious Mm -hmm. thing. You know, there's just kind of like storylines that come up because you're continuing to do this thing. Or, I mean, on the YouTube front, like, dude, if Toker is... Doing a post fight with Nate Diaz or, you know, like that kind of stuff too. There's, there's so many creative avenues. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about creative stuff is like you put all this blood, sweat and tears into what you guys are doing for as long as you've been mm-hmm. doing it. And sometimes you have no idea where the hell you're going, right? You just keep grinding, keep working, keep writing, keep creating, keep doing stuff. But then if you look back, all this stuff that you create is right yeah. there and it's yours. No one owns it. It's yours. And now everything that you add on top of that, as you get more skilled, you get better at editing, you get better at writing, you get better at producing, all that stuff lines up. And that's, I think, that like inflection point for any, anyone with a creative drive is, again, you don't know when that's going to happen, but it's that you are in control of those things at all points. And no one can take that away from you guys. Right. Yeah. How is it being at the fight? Oh, the UFC. Yeah.
1: Oh man, did you watch it by chance?
0: I did. Yeah, I had. I had like I felt like such a loser. I had the UFC fight night on my mm-hmm. TV, and then I had the uh, the ripped <laughs> the Jake Paul Diaz uh, yeah. fight, and then there was I forget there was one other thing that was on. Um, uh, I mean, it was like a Bellator fight or something mm-hmm. like that. But I was, I mean, I think Sandhagen got a lot of shit for that fight, but that guy's so freaking technical, he just makes other people look like they don't know what they're doing. <laughs>
1: Every single fight was good. And people were booing. But if you really go and break down that fight and you see how they match up, Rob Fine, he's really good, man. And if you make yeah. a mistake, look, Corey Sanchez didn't want to make a mistake, man.
0: And I don't blame him. Dude's so close to getting another title shot.
1: Why take a huge risk when you when you not you right?
0: I think that this is uh this is the classic like Casual versus the, the person who actually one trains and two watches stuff is I I from a business perspective mm-hmm. I get it. If you're the UFC, what do you want? You want Connors knocking people out, it, it, the Jose Aldo yeah. fight, right? You want those iconic lightning moments that are crazy that change the sport. But if you're the fighter and you're up for potentially another title shot, and you're the most one of the most technical dudes in the sport, and you're up against a stone cold killer. Like Rob Font, who trains out of New England with Calvin Cater and these guys that can knock mm-hmm. your head off at any fucking moment. What do you you want to stand in front of him and just risk it? Absolutely oh, not, gosh. dude. Stick to a game plan, especially on short notice. I don't know. I don't blame him. I, my hat's off to him. I think he did a fantastic job.
1: Yeah. I mean, even the whole time, like, because Dewey came with me to the fights and, you know, Dewey trains now. Dewey's really good. Yeah. So we're sitting there watching it from a technical standpoint. You know what I mean? Watching him like Mm -hmm. what he was doing. Thought he played a smart game. Yeah. I mean, he did what he had to do.
0: What do you think of, uh, as a 209 native, as Toker, the (laughs) Cholo, as Michael Placencia, what do you think of Diaz's performance? Uh,
1: I mean, I thought he could have did better, but, I think people don't give Jake Paul credit. They just think see him yeah. as a YouTube guy. He's a big guy, dude. He's big. Yeah. And you and I both know matchups, the way people match up. Totally. I just think physically the way he matches up with Nate, it just favored Jake Paul. I mean, the guy has a ton of money. He's spent all of his time hiring the best people, the best trainers, eating the best food. Of course he's gonna you know he's gonna be at the top of his game. He looks like he's on juice. I mean I'm not trying to knock him, I'm just saying physically how he looked. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I thought Nate could have did better, but I just think that matchup in a boxing match favors Jake Paul. Yeah. That's
0: what it is. I, I hearing everyone talk about it, it's funny, like the best thing that happened for Jake Paul is that people doubt him. Nothing drives people more than people doubting them. Because it gives them coverage, right? People can doubt you, and then you can go into hiding and just train your ass off. And if you lose, people go, Oh, he's a YouTuber. I knew that guy wouldn't. Yeah, I knew he wouldn't win. He's a YouTuber. But if you win, they doubt you. And what does that do? It just stokes the fire. Throw more money at it. Get better people around you. Train harder. Someone like, yeah, dude, Nate's had one of the most decorated careers. He's such a respected legend in the sport. The guy's an absolute gangster. He doesn't back down from yeah. anything. He's fought every single person they ever put in front of him. And he even had fun with it, right? He takes a single leg and he puts him in a guillotine. Like, if it were a real fight, Diaz, 10 out of 10 days of the week, right? But because there's rules, you have to play within the rules. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Jake Paul's a big dude. He's young and he's athletic. He's got a lot of time on his hands. And, you know, when you go train against the White Belt, who's big, fast, and strong. It's a, a a matchup thing. It was a bummer though. I wanted to see him. F- you saw him start peppering him up a little bit. Yeah, in right. right, right he, yeah. Jake didn't like yeah. it, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, what are you going to
0: yeah. do? Well, dude, Toker, it's been uh, it's been awesome having you on, man. Getting to chat about everything from from acting to Nate Diaz's performance, and I love what you guys are doing. It's really cool to see. The growth of something that's a creative project and see your guys' humor and the writing and everything go into it. I'm I'm very excited after talking to you to see where you guys take this. I feel like there's a lot of different opportunities. Uh I wanted to mm-hmm. ask, though, and they, this is the gringo in me, so you can just break this down. <laughs> Ex- explain, Let's let's just go from the hat to the mm-hmm. shoes. Hit me with the cholo outfit. And what's the most useful piece of equipment in a fight?
1: All right, so we got the beanie. You can hide your eyes so they don't see where you're looking. That's always key. <laughs> so that's the number one tool. Uh, the long socks. Man, that was always my favorite, even way back in the day with my cousins and uncles. Sporting. A lot of them had the, the chucks. A lot of, yeah,
0: it wasn't I always know, A lot of most
1: people that I remember, like my uncles and cousins, they had the chucks. So it was the long so- socks with the chucks. A lot of them had the cutoff sweats, kind of like Tolofoi Creeper wears. My uncles used to wear those. Yeah. I was never one of those. I never liked that. I was always like, "You more long dickies, mm-hmm. so all the dickies." Yeah, tank top, flannel, bro. I was always a flannel guy. And here's <laughs> here's a bonus one. So my brother, this was back in the '90s. This is before YouTube, anything. He was imitating Cheech and Chong. He was doing the flannel with the whole Dickies and he would, he would just walk in sometimes when all the friends were hanging out. He would just disappear. Nobody would know he was gone. And then boom, he would show up and he would have the flannel and he's doing imitations, making everyone laugh, man. He was doing this in the nineties. So for me, the favorite out of all of it, the flannel, bro. And that could be a weapon. So is, fl-
0: is, is the flannel, the, how did the flannel become such a staple in the outfit? Is it the ability to fly colors? Is it the, versatility of being a warm garment but also you can like open it up and let it fly. Like why is I guess you could ask this about any piece of clothing, right? In in this culture, why is it those elements? Why isn't like a hoodie and long pants? What is it about the flannel that became like that's the thing that everyone wears?
1: Because there's actually different flannel you can get different colors. Uh you can make it look neat, I think. And (laughs) you can cover things with it. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Cause a lot of like the, the Cholos back in the day who used to dress like that on the regular, they, they thought they, they thought they looked good for all the heinous, eh? <laughs> that type of thing. I think that's what it is. I think mean, that's how it became. I'm going to button yeah. one and flare it out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they actually thought that it was stylish. They yeah. really thought it was stylish and clean.
0: I wonder if, was it being justified when they go to the barbecue or they're hanging out and, like, the girls are like, yo, I love your flannel. <laughs> or is this just, like, it's, like, amongst the dudes. Like, they're all like, yo, oh, man, you look fucking dope.
1: <laughs> no, they really thought that they looked great. They had, you know, they had the flannel. and A lot of them had the, the three flowers, pomade on their hair with the hand comb. Yep.
0: Thick black yeah, glasses. Bro. Thick on the sides. Where did this, why the socks, where the socks come from? That high sock. Look, I can, I can only think of like, man, like, I mean, soccer is the only other place you really see like a real high sock like that.
1: You know, man, I don't know. I think they were just more regularly available. I remember this when I was a young kid, like going to like Kmart or something, right? You go to the socks section. There were just there, long were, there was a lot more like that was more regular. Yeah. Like when you go now, you get the the shorter ones that maybe go over your your calf, like a crew. Yes. Sock. That's it's, yeah. There's a lot of them, right? I think it yeah. was the availability of what.
0: So it's just that's what, that was cool
1: there. what was there, bro.
0: You buy the pack, and then you can pull them up, pull them exactly. up all the way. Who Who was the first like cholo character? in Hollywood. It wasn't Joker. No,
1: it was Cheech, Cheech, bro. Cheech Marin. That really set up it off. Up
0: It was Cheech and Chong. I'm yeah. telling you, bro. I remember he had, he stole the van and had the little chain wheel, yeah. And he's like, yeah, man. So I, because I got the handcuffs and he had on. the
1: beanie too. He had the the red one, but he was folded
0: <laughs> up. Yeah. Have you ever seen Cheech or Chong live?
1: No. Uh, one time I actually auditioned for a part in, um, the new Nash Bridges. They're, they're no other bringing They're bringing that yeah. back as a movie. I think it was in the TV series, Nash Bridges that filmed years ago, like in the nineties, yeah. I auditioned for a big part and I didn't get it, man. I wanted it so bad because I wanted that to be able, epic. this was like a year and a half ago, bro. I wanted to get it so I can ask him if you want to do a video.
0: <laughs> Dude, milk it though. Milk it. That man, that scene where, uh, he gets pulled over and he's like, Yo, license and registration. He's like, no. he's like Yo, isn't that shit on the back of the car, man? <laughs> I, that, like, dude, that might be, that might be one of the most quoted scenes of like when I was growing up. My buddy and I, we just love Cheech and Chong movies. I don't know what it was. We we're growing up in a little town in Colorado. Mm-hmm. No idea why we love them so much. But man, their shit was so funny. And it was this like high culture meets like, so much of it was just slapstick. Yeah. It was like short little, it was all these little skits, right? They were individually written, thrown into a feature film and you would just watch. And so it was almost like it played into the lack of your attention span as a kid. Cause you were watching a long mm-hmm. movie, but you're really just watching these hilarious little bits about these two guys doing funny ass shit. Awesome. Comedy, yeah. It was man. amazing. well, You got to send me the moment that you get either one of them on the account. That will really be the full circle, dude. That'll be the the ultimate moment. Maybe them with Nate Diaz or something, too, and Toker, all you guys together. It'll be great. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you you being on here. We'll have to do this again in the future. And uh, I wish nothing but the best for the account. Everything you guys are doing, tons of growth. It's hilarious. And you guys are holding true to the actual techniques of jujitsu which makes it very real and shareable so thank you for being appreciate
1: it bro bro. do it again soon